0: This episode of The Minimalist is brought to you by nobody, because if you're listening to this at home, they have masks on, so that's why you couldn't hear them that well, but they do suck. By the way,
1: my name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists, live in Seattle.
0: You know, Ryan, I was, before we start answering some of these questions, uh, I, was, um, I was thinking, this is our 10th tour in 12 years, but last time we were here in Seattle, it was actually here at the Neptune Theater, mm-hmm. we had, uh, it was five years ago, and we've done hundreds of tour stops, right? Yeah. And, um, we've had to kick someone out of an event one time, <laughs> <laughs> um... And it was it was that night. And it was just a guy who was hanging out at the bar. I think he pre game before the show. <laughs> and every time Ryan said something, like, even remotely profound, or just said it in a cadence that might be perceived as profound, the guy in the back was like, Woo! <laughs> <laughs> and Ryan's just like, you know, 3% of the world's children make up uh, 40% of the toy consumption, and the guy's like, yeah! (laughs) And then just, our last tour stop was in Boston, what was that, a week ago, roughly? Yeah, yeah. And it it was Boston, and I swear to you, half the people that came over to the mic were
1: drunk. (laughs) (laughs) I always find that we're about 20% funnier when we have drinking at our events.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a bell curve, though, because at some point, if you drink too much, you'll just start getting angry at us. (laughs) Howdy. Come on up to the mic. What's your name? Nicole. Hey, Nicole. Nicole. What's on your mind?
2: Uh, I actually had thought, like, for a few weeks, what I was going to say, because I wanted to say something. I've been wanting to talk to you guys for a while, and... Um, I didn't actually rehearse anything. I couldn't come up with anything. Um, But what I wanted to say is um, an interesting perspective that has happened to me is I've been on this journey for minimalism for a few years now since I watched your guys' show. I literally listen to your podcast every morning as I go to work because I work a 60-hour work week and do 10 hours of commuting each week or each, yes, each week. Um, My job is a very intense job. It's very uh, anxiety provoking. Um, For all of those that are in the audience, you'll remember the train derailment that we had. I was in charge of that train derailment for the medical. So my life is just chaotic and intense. And so I carry that with me a lot. There's a lot of anxiety that comes with that. And uh, when I come home, I, you know, feel the clutter of all of the things. And uh, I'm a huge consumer myself. I always have been. It's been uh, ingrained in me from a very young age. Yeah. And uh, I've, been, I've been working on this journey. And one of the things that I wanted to say that uh, helped me with some perspective is my wife. My wife um, has, she's dealt with severe depression. For years and years and years, we're talking since young child, and uh, there was a time where she did not want to live anymore, and uh, we did everything we could, and she decided to keep on keeping on because we had said vows to one another. So she undergo um, she underwent um, electroconvulsive therapy. Yeah. Okay. Um, after two years of doing electroconvulsive therapy, she actually made it to the other side and decided that we were going to make a family. We were going to start changing. And um, she had a whole bunch of things that she was holding on to, things that would help her with memories of things And the electroconvulsive therapy, one of the side effects is that you lose all memories. So she lost the memory of our wedding. She lost the memory of going to college. She lost the memory of all of these things. And I started going through things, and I asked her if she wanted them, and she said that they weren't in those things, those material possessions. They were in the people that were still in her life. And she asks them every single day, Please remind me of how high school was. Remind me of how college was. Remind me of this. Remind me of that. And so one of the things that I wanted to say is that she was going to be here tonight, but we, you know, COVID happens and we couldn't get babysitters. But she stood behind me so much that in nine days, we're moving to a smaller house from 2,100 square feet to 1,450 square feet. I will no longer have a one hour and 30 minute commute. I'm going to have a 20 minute commute. And the reason that all of this is happening is not just because of my journey, it's because she did the math and she wants those 500 and something hours back to spend with me and the children to have that back to spend with me. And so I just wanted to share that with you guys.
0: That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Nicole, what, one of the things that we, we talk about, and you've heard us talk about it, we talk about it in, in the book is exactly what you just touched upon. Our memories are not in our things. Our memories are inside us. But what happens when we lose those memories? Now, a lot of things can happen, right? You know, we can get a concussion and lose a memory. Or we just simply don't remember most of the things that we have experienced, right? That's just how the mind works. And um, what you're talking about, though, is sharing experiences with people in the present moment as opposed to clinging to whatever was before, whether it's a physical thing, whether it's a house, whether it's a commute, whether it's to the way things are supposed to be. I don't know why this story… I, I was reminded of this when, when she said this, Ryan, but I, there's this David David Lynch story. He talks about he was at a um, friend's house, and he, they had a two-year-old and a six-year-old, like, and they're off playing in the uh, the great room over near where the family had just finished up dinner. And David Lynch, because he's David Lynch, just sort of wanders in there and starts listening to the children, sort of like a fly on the wall. And uh, the six-year-old says to the two-year-old, can you remind me what God looks like? Because I'm beginning to forget. Mm. And there was something in, in that moment where there was like this... I don't mean God, like literally Abrahamic God, I don't care what your religious beliefs are, but there is… I think sometimes we have to lean on the people around us, because life is not meaningful if we aren't able to show up and, and share this together. And Ryan, I can't believe that, that we get to do this on nights like this, and, and people like Nicole come up and, and tell a story like that.
1: Yeah. Amen. Oh, Nicole, that's that's a that's a very inspiring story. Like, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. It it really shows. um, Well, you know, minimalism is about living intentionally, and there's so many intentional things that you had to do to get where you're at today. And um, it shows the it it takes work. Like we think of sometimes as simple being easy, but simple is not easy. It takes a lot of work, and I'm. I'm inspired by how much work that you and your wife have done to get where you're at. That's incredible. Congratulations. Yeah. Amen.
2: Thank you, guys.
0: Appreciate you.
1: Howdy.
3: Hi. I'm so excited. Move, move
0: that mic down so we can (laughs) hear you. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Okay. What's your name?
3: Tammy. Hey, Tammy, hey, what's Tammy. on your mind? I just wanted to share with you guys, thank you so much for your team's acronym, t- t- um, Time, no, Time, Attention, Energy, Money, and Space. I feel like I got the T wrong, but...
0: Um, yeah, so the acronym, what you're talking about is uh, we have this acronym, that, uh, your most valuable resources, right? It's STEAM, you know, skills, time, mm-hmm. uh, energy, attention, mm-hmm. and then uh, eventually there's money. We pre- that money isn't important or we pretend that it's the most important thing in the world and the truth is it's probably somewhere in between
3: yeah but I just when I first heard it I was like it just makes so much sense and it makes everything that much more clear because I feel like everything that I and probably anyone else does you use at least one of those things so thank you for that another thing I just want to say is um, I've been following you guys for some years now whatever and um, my mother was diagnosed uh, with a sickness in her early 50s. And you guys' this message have really helped be light um, in some dark times, uh, bring calm, um, miss some chaos, and some clarity amongst confusion. So thank you so, so much from my heart to yours. Thank I, you. I love you guys. Thank you.
1: <laughs> we love you. Thank you, thank you so much. Oh, man.
0: Can we get some of that mic in the monitor up here? Because I, I can't hear real well.
1: Um, you know, man, it, this is why I do what we do. It's um, if it was just one person, like I would, st- it would still be worth it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm so grateful that we could have any influence on on your situation. That's amazing. Which she said it reminded me of, like when I first came across minimalism. Uh, yeah, I just saw a bunch of common sense stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, unfortunately though, common sense, not too common these days. Yeah, it almost felt radical how common sense it was.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I remember when I first stumbled across some of these different minimalists online, I, I, I talked to Ryan months later when he came and asked me, like, hey man, why the hell are you so happy? What drugs are you on? and Uh, I said, I'm on this drug called minimalism. (laughs) No, he, uh, I I told him, I'm becoming a minimalist. He's like, no, you're not. (laughs) And because it sounds radical, right? Because it conjures these images of like stark white walls or living like a monk or ascetic or a cave, but then you realize like, oh, no, no, no. It's just really about getting rid of the excess because the excess is what's making us miserable. Howdy, what's your name? What's up, fellas? My name is John
4: Sook, and I am so happy you guys came to Seattle. Oh, thanks, John. We're happy to be here. It was the biggest bummer ever, 2020, when uh, obviously you guys had just kind of squat. Uh, When it got canceled, you guys couldn't come out. It was heartbreaking. I am so happy I'm here, and I'm so happy you guys are here. (laughs) Thanks, man. We are happy to be here. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be a little uh, more lighthearted, but the, the other two ladies, that was, that was awesome. Thanks for sharing. First thing is I'm about three hours left in the uh, Infinite Jest audiobook. And I know about that from you
0: guys. It is very difficult, but only three more hours.
4: Also, the problem
0: I, with the audiobook, it, is, it doesn't have the footnotes, so you have to follow along. Yeah, never mind. It's no one else knows. He's the only person in here who has even come close to finishing Infinite Jest.
1: Still very impressive.
4: Three hours away, I I couldn't tell you anything that's happened in it. It's been very confusing. (laughs) This is all right. So the the lighthearted question. You guys, I think probably a year ago, said that you were no longer using deodorant. (laughs) I tried myself. I made it about five days, and uh, I, I had to go back to it. Question is: Are you guys still on the no deodorant train, or are you using
1: deodorant? (laughs) So, as as a rule, to be a minimalist, you can't wear deodorant. I mean, that's naturally. Naturally, (laughs) that's rule number one. Oh my goodness! Uh, I I still do not wear deodorant. Believe it or not, yeah. There, There is a, well, there's a lot of, um, there's some natural deodorants out there, but like, you know, your, your typical antiperspirant's got like, um, I don't know, some, just some harmful things in it. Uh, so there's a week that is like, you don't want to be around anybody. That was my five days. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, the trick is, is like, you know, you give yourself a little armpit bath, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> halfway through the day, yeah. okay. <laughs> but your body does eventually like even out. It okay. blew my mind. Like how, yeah, like I still don't wear deodorant. It's, uh, yeah. JFM, are you evened out? Uh, we, we
0: do a bunch of really strange things to cover <laughs> up our uh, uh, natural like scent, right? The pheromones, all these hormones that we emit. But I'll tell you that, uh, yeah, I haven't used deodorant forever, but my wife absolutely loves the fact that I don't, and so that's my main motivation there.
4: <laughs> Vex is awesome, I'm sure. Uh, and then the last question, JFM, uh, when Ryan had a child's cold, you were talking with an Irish guy that lived in LA, and you mentioned how LeBron James is taller than you, better at basketball, but you also said that he's smarter than you, and I was taken aback by that, and I just was wondering if you could expound a bit on that, why you would just very, very easily be like, yeah, he's taller, he's better at basketball, he's smarter than me, I was I thought. I wonder you more what? handsome. And, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect of. By but... the way I didn't
0: say any of these things. he's just saying this about me. <laughs> no, um, John, I, uh, LeBron James is a, like a legitimate genius. He, he has a, a sort of like photographic recall of, of certain things, and I mean, that level of intelligence, the yeah, there's maybe one person in this room that has that, and that person's not me. That's Thank
4: you guys so much. I'm so happy you're here. Oh, nice thanks, ma'am. Howdy.
0: Hello. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Hey there. Oh, good cat. I'm nice. always
5: catch catching things. <laughs> That's my secret skill. Bravo. <laughs> I tell my boyfriend that always. But,
0: What's um, your name?
5: Anyways, hello. Hi, Josh and Ryan. What's your name? My name is Samantha. Hey, Samantha. Nice to meet you both. You as well. Um, My question is a bit abstract. Uh, I just want an excuse to get up here. But um, throughout your minimalism journey, you say you discuss that it can and will change. Is there an intentional way that you reassess your values? How do you know when your values change? yeah, yeah. Over time,
0: it's yeah. a pretty broad question. What do you What are you struggling with right now with respect to your values?
5: Um, I mean, when I started out on this minimalism journey, yeah, I had like, not a vision board, but I, you know, I wrote down what I value, like health, yoga, all those things. And I guess I haven't come back to that. And I was wondering, do you guys have a Do you reassess every so often, or is, is there a certain way you look a- at and, it?
0: And- the reason you haven't gone back to it, I think I know it, but maybe you can tell me.
5: I guess it's working so far.
0: <laughs> it, because it is working so far? <laughs> or
5: maybe some things are not working. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, it's, it never hurts to double check on your values, I guess. Um, sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the problem we often run into with these types of things is... We feel as though we're supposed to make, you know, whether it's a goal spreadsheet or a yeah. vision board, they're functionally the same thing. Yeah. Um, or you know, write down all your values. Like we have a values worksheet in the book to better understand your values. The main reason mm-hmm. that we have that is there are four different types of values. You, it's like building a house. You have surface, I'm sorry, you have foundational values. Everyone has a similar foundation in their house. But above that, you have structural values. Everyone's house looks a little bit different on the interior, so everyone has different structural values. Beyond that, you have surface values. It's the things that make life interesting or beautify your house. The big problem is the fourth category though. We have these imaginary values. Mm -hmm. And that's how we spend our day every day. We spend our days doing things that we know aren't that important to us, But the truth is they are the most important things to us. However you spend your 24 hours, and this isn't a value judgment, it's not a morality claim, it's merely that if I spend an hour after this scrolling through Twitter, that's fine. But it is that in that moment is the most important thing to me. Now, I can say something else is, just like I can say my health is really important to me, but when I weighed 100 pounds more than I weigh now, it obviously wasn't. It was hypothetically important to me, but that was a lip service value. Um, I can tell you this, at the beginning of each year, my wife and I, we sit down and we just sort of like look at each other's values, because I find that the people closest to me, it's good to understand what they value, mm-hmm. so I know how to best interact with them and understand what they appreciate so I too can appreciate it. And then of course at times we'll have conflicting values Mm -hmm. and just like we have conflicting personalities. Ryan and I are radically different from each other but that's what makes uh, a relationship interesting. If we were carbon copies of one another then we wouldn't need both of us on stage Mm tonight.
1: Although I would kill for that hair. Oh man, we, had, uh, we did a show in Atlanta and there was a comedian named J.P. Sears, he was our guest, and he, <laughs> said, he, said, uh, he said something, uh, someone asked about beliefs and values, and he was like, um, he was. I think you should have your beliefs, you should hold them tight, you should love them, but don't believe your beliefs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, as an antidote, it, it is funny, but there's a lot of depth in that statement, mm-hmm. because... Anything that we hold on too tightly, sometimes it will drag us. And we have to be willing to let go. Mm. And that, you know, when I talk about uh, the willingness to let go of being a superpower, it really is, and that's not just with our things, but it's also with some values and beliefs. And yeah, I think it's totally appropriate to look at those every once in a while. I know for me, if something's off, if I'm feeling anxious or depressed or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. You know, I can quickly in my mind look at those foundational values and ask myself, "Okay, like where? How full are each of those buckets?" Yeah. And then, you know, the least full bucket—if that makes sense—like that's that's yeah. what I'll, I'll focus on. You know, maybe one day I look at those and I'm like, "Oh, those buckets are full, but something else is still off." Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, having the the willingness to let go, the willingness to walk away from a, a value or even a belief—it gives me the room to um to explore it really so yeah i think we should always be exploring and yeah of course things change yeah.
0: you know i'm thinking about um we have a friend named Derek sivers he wrote a book called hell yeah or no and um one of the things he talks about was quite often our identity gets tied up in these things that we say we value or things that we valued once upon a time so when we talk about our values those foundational values they tend not to change. Health relationships, community, contribution, things like that. You know, it's half dozen to a dozen foundational values. But the structure can change from time to time as you change your life. Maybe you have a radical life change. Like when I walked away from my corporate career, my structural values change quite a bit. But the values that tend to change are those surface values. We repaint our homes. The problem is we're constantly trying to change the surface when, it's like we're trying to paint a burning house. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, this will fix it. Yeah. <laughs> but we don't actually figure out what's going on inside the, the structure. And part of that is our identity. We cling to the things that we used to find valuable, those things that were surface values before. So, Derek, he was a full-time mu- musician, I think for 20 years. And he went around, and he would play festivals, and, and that's how he earned a living. But then he left that behind, you know, over I like, probably two decades ago now, or 15 years ago, and yet he still, like, kept some of the instruments, and he had a piano, and a guitar, and some recording equipment, which would all be fine, but he wasn't using any of it. And he realized, like, oh, I say I value being a musician, but I don't. And in fact, it stresses me out thinking I might have to go back to that. Mm-hmm. And it was incredibly freeing the day that he put it all out for free on you know, Craigslist, wherever the website was. And people just came over and picked up the guitar and all this stuff. And now it's in a home where it's actually being used. And he's no longer tethered mm-hmm. to that old identity. Yeah. Cool. Thank Thanks you. for your question. Thank you. Thanks Appreciate lot. you being here. Yeah. Hey there.
6: Hello there. Hi. What's your name? Uh, My name's Terry. I live in downtown Seattle, a block from the Space Needle. Hey, Terry. Uh, Terry. Thanks for being here. Uh, uh, Nice to see you guys. Um, Can you go a little closer
0: to the mic? Testing. Thank you.
6: So I follow you guys on Twitter. I'm a little Barack Obama doll, if that's... (laughs) (laughs) And I get your text, and I I do appreciate that, and you do respond back to them. So I appreciate that, too. So, I'm here today. Um, like, I have a $600 apartment a block from the Space Needle. Wow. I don't have a car. Got a free parking spot. Wow. Don't even have a TV, mm. right? And debt free. So, so,
1: that's the new American dream, uh, is being debt free. That's awesome.
6: And, Amen. you know, I consider myself a simple person. I don't have, I don't, I'm not a rich person, but my grief counselor says I lead a rich life. I, uh, like for example, I worked for Alaska Airline at the airport. So a year ago, a year ago I would be in Washington DC over the inauguration. I had to go even though the mayor said, don't, don't come. I had to be there because that was important to me. So in, in my life, I realize I'm not gonna stand here and say, well, I was a minimalist before you two showed up. But sure. no, I'm just, you know, it's you know I live my life a certain way. I've had a lot of life happens, I would say. My mom passed away a couple years ago. I have brief counseling on Zoom tomorrow morning. Uh, I'm dealing with that. Um, I'm not a shopper. I can't tell you the last time I went to a mall, but what I do with the money that I make and my time my grief counselor says, it's not my job to save a life, but it's my job to make someone else's life important. Um, so, with, so with that, I all the time I talk to, try to talk to people, I try to talk to my coworkers about work, working on their wellness, about less is more, uh, because then if you don't have all this stuff, then you're open up to talk to that person who's sitting over there and share the blessings that come my way you know, to them. And hopefully maybe they can catch something on it and pick up on it and, and go from there. So do I have a whole bunch of stuff in clutter? Like someone would come to my 442 square foot apartment and think I have nothing. Right. But in my pile right now, I got a ukulele that I'm not using. I got a quilt from an antique store and it's all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. But even though I have a $600 apartment, I've, I have something interesting. I, my mom passed and my dad had a financial account and when he, when he died in 2015, it went to my mom. Uh, and when she died, that financial account came to me and her death was sudden I literally, literally sold some shares of Amazon staff that my dad happened to get. Mm. And I purchased our family home in Willingboro, New Jersey. Mm. So I literally sit in a $600 apartment here, mm-hmm. and, I pay t- and I pay taxes on a house in Willingboro, New Jersey. Mm. And I'm thankful I have travel benefits in order to fly back and forth to do this. And the reason I purchased this house was things went really quick. And when my twin brother who put it up, I didn't know what was going on and things weren't so quick. I literally sold some shares and I purchased the family home. Mm. So that is something that that is my, so am I a, a minimalist
0: anymore? Yeah, I mean. Yeah. No, I, maybe, no one. Maybe not. I, yeah. We'll still pr- give you a certificate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not going to revoke your membership. <laughs> I promise. Um, I can tell that you're struggling with these things. Look, yeah. I, I, and I'm really sorry to hear about your mother. That's, um, I mean, obviously I, I know. Yeah, exactly. uh, I can relate at least. I don't know what you're going through, but I can, I can relate to that scenario and. I think quite often what happens is we, we grasp for, well, whatever remains, right? And so, um, we're trying to hold on to memories, so we do th- so through purchasing a house or through holding on to sentimental items. Now, when I say that, some people will hear me saying, oh, so buying the house is wrong or holding on to sentimental items is wrong. No, definitely not. It's not right or wrong, it's what is appropriate for you, and right now what I hear in your voice is maybe it's a bit of a burden for you, right? Yeah. Maybe it's not the blessing you thought it would be, and that's okay because it, maybe it had the potential to be a blessing for you and that's wonderful. Or maybe for some folks they'll do something, they'll buy a house and it's a blessing for a while until it's not, until it's a burden, right? And the same is true with the sentimental items that we hold on to when someone passes away. We, we hold on to their stuff because, well, let's be honest, we hold on to it because we think that's what we're supposed to do. In fact, we're even told it would be disrespectful to get rid of this thing. Well, it, okay, but maybe it's disrespectful to expect someone to hold on to something they're not getting value from as well. And disrespect has to do with the fact that you're you're intentionally not being respectful, but one of the most respectful things you can do is let go of the things that you're no longer getting value from. Because whether it's your mom or anyone else in your family who moves on, they don't want you to feel that burden. They don't want you to be burdened by their stuff, by their debts, by their obligations, by their demands, by their expectations. They want you to be free. They want you to experience that joy. And so if any of these things are getting in the way of that joy, if they're getting in the way of your freedom, your peace, your tranquility, then perhaps it's a sign to reassess. And during that reassessing, you might realize, like, oh, it wasn't right to let go, it wasn't the right time to let go before, but maybe maybe right now is the time to let
1: go. Uh, Tammy, right?
6: No, Terry.
1: Terry, okay. sorry. Oh, okay. Terry, <laughs> if you went home right now, like after the show, and you got a phone call, and you found out that the house in... New Jersey spontaneously combusted. Burned down. How would you feel about that?
6: I'd probably be like, eh. Um, (laughs) Because there was a a twister not too long ago, and it was in New Jersey, and I swear it went right past the storage unit, and I was like, oh my God. And then I called the storage unit and said, hey, is everything fine? They're like, yeah. But honestly, if it probably the storage unit burnt down, I'd probably be like that. The the house on a, on a different note. I did feel compelled for the house. I did feel compelled to, you know, God save the home. You know, I'm 50. What am I? 54. God so save the family home from 1967, because my parents, these two proud, both veterans, um, buried at the Brigadier General Memorial State I mean Cemetery in New Jersey, worked their lives to, you know, get these homes in the 60s where they weren't allowed to even get a home, right? Yeah. So then, of course, that is on my shoulder, so that's part of the reason why I did it. I feel compelled to get it fixed up and then see where it goes from there. Yeah.
1: No, I, I totally understand that. I, I would I would say your reaction to it spontaneously combusting, combusting It. there is a sign there of what what would be a a good decision for you. And what I'll say is like, it it sounds like your parents were awesome parents. They worked really hard. They worked really hard so you could have and live a meaningful life. So if holding onto that house helps you live a more meaningful life, then they're probably really proud of you right now. Mm -hmm. But if it's holding you back, they're They're probably going to be okay with you letting it go if that's what it ends up coming down to i I had an opportunity my, my grandmother uh, so my grandfather passed away a couple of years ago, and uh, him and my grandma had a property on Lake Okeechobee, which is like down on Florida and it's on one of these canals and it is like the sunsets on those canals are just like absolutely just gorgeous um, and I was twin she was selling her house, and I was like, oh, I could, I could buy this, and I could fix it up, and I could rent it out. And, I, and what I realized is it was, it was, all had to do with the sentimentality of that house. It really wasn't uh, going to be the best investment for me, and I had to weigh that down. So I only share that because I, I do empathize with you. It's, it certainly is a tough decision, but ultimately, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter what Josh or I think of you. <laughs> Doesn't matter what anyone here thinks of you. What matters is what you think of you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think ultimately what we're talking about here is
0: determining what you, what your outcome is. What do you want? Is a way to say that, right? And if it's home ownership is what you want, then why is that what you want, right? Because there's nothing wrong with it. It can be a wonderful thing. Um, but if your outcome is peace and tranquility, and that aids that, wonderful. But if, if not, then, um, well, you can always let go.
6: Yeah. No, thanks for listening to yeah. that. means That means a lot, and I just felt compelled to save it, felt compelled to fix it up, and then mm. I'll eventually, you know, I'll probably let mm. it go, and then go back to my... Simple life of not paying six thousand dollars in taxes in New Jersey, Woo. and then, and yeah. then all this other stuff. But for yeah. me, I I come from a giver. My mom and and she's always been a giver, and I think that's why I like living simple things so I can have that time and space in which to share it with others. But thanks for listening to me. It means a lot.
4: Thank you.
1: Too. Thank you. And then I'll Appreciate keep, you. Yeah.
6: Continue to follow you guys on Twitter. <laughs>
1: Ladies and gentlemen, The Original Minimalist. <laughs> Howdy.
6: Hi,
7: nice to meet you. What's your um, name? Louise. Louise. Nice. Louise, Yeah, Nice to meet you guys. You as well. I just well. want to start off by saying I'm going to be one of those cretes that saves my ticket stuff so at a later date I can get a hug. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I promise to bring some back. We'll okay, have perfect. a box of them.
7: <laughs> Um, yeah, so what I say might not have a question mark, but just insert one where you deem appropriate. Um, I've been on my minimalism journey for a while. I've been listening to your podcast since the very beginning. And can, we turn,
0: can we turn this monitor up? I can barely hear anything. I can try and speak it louder There we go. That's well. perfect. Sorry, yeah. that's Thank my you. bad. That's
7: um, yeah, so I've been on my minimalism journey for a while. Uh, all my possessions under um, a bed, like a, a uk size double bed, so it's quite small. Wow. Um, so I'm really happy with that. Um, but I find that when I'm away, like now for example, Um, I have this plan that I'm gonna write a list of everything I remember is under that bed, Mm. um, because obviously they're the things that are meaningful to me. And then when I get back to them, I will dispose of the things I don't remember. Mm. However, I've done this cycle a few times, and the things I don't remember, as soon as I see them, suddenly get all this newfound value. So I'd love a little tip for removing that, if possible. And um, (laughs) the second part of the question was, when I do make this physical space, I find that now I wanna work on like a digital minimalism. So the way I, I don't consume material items that much anymore, um, or if I do, I tend to always return them back to the store. Um, but my digital consumerism is high and I wanna try and minimalize what kind, what that. What kind of
0: digital consumerism do you struggle with?
7: Um, it's gonna sound quite silly, to particularly other people, but it's something that gives me anxiety and stresses me out, is that if I'm absorbing content, say, on social media, videos, I like photos, I'll save them all. Mm. And then you go to your saved section of, I don't know, some Instagram, for example, and it's just chaos. There's all these things that I saved, and some of it's really meaningful content to me, Mm. but it's amongst a bunch of other, you know, like a dog laughing or something, um, (laughs) which I kind of (laughs) want to sift through and just have the meaningful (laughs) stuff. And the same goes, uh, another thing, quite meaningless for other people, but to me it brings anxiety, is a camera roll, for example, on my phone. Yeah. take photos of everything, and there's tens of, like, tens of thousands on there. Mm. I just got a new iPhone, and the guy was like, oh, get 268 gigabytes, you'll need it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I probably will, but it's just, yeah, so it's something mm. about the questions are, when I get back home, what I don't remember, how can I keep detached from that and also any tips on digital
0: minimalism. Ryan, you want to talk to her about the monsters under her bed?
7: Yes.
1: Oh man, I was just thinking like, if I took that approach, I have such a bad memory. <laughs> like, I would just end up getting rid of most of my stuff. Um, it's, it's an interesting approach. I Personally, I, again, couldn't do that because of, of my memory. Um, what I did was my packing party where I packed up everything and pretended I was moving, and then unpacked things as I needed it. Because then, at least, I was reaching for something that I knew was going to add value to my life. It was going to serve a purpose. Or maybe it was a a picture or something. It was going to bring me joy. Um, So yeah, I... I Personally, I wouldn't beat yourself up over the things that you forget. I mean, maybe the packing party is is a better approach. It sounds like maybe a middle ground.
7: My is going to laugh now because <laughs> I moved house five times last year. So I packed.
0: <laughs> so this I is a
7: perfect time. I packed an awful lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's a perfect time for you to do the packing party.
0: Can I ask about that? So are there things that you... You said you moved five times? Is that
7: yeah, I've, I've okay. moved an awful lot, yeah.
0: Wow. Um, and so... Are there things that, from the last time you moved, that you never unboxed that are still yeah, in I boxes? Yeah, I can
7: think of four boxes that the lids stay on, and they have done consistently over the last 18 months.
0: Wow! Yeah. And, and so, what what does that tell you about those things?
4: That well, I don't need them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely that. Yes. Um, The the truth is, we don't need most of the things that we own, right? But One of the rules that we have in in our book, we have these 16 rules for living with less. They're not really rules. They're just boundaries that are adjustable. We call it the no junk rule. So everything you own fits in one of three piles. It's either essential, it's non-essential but value-adding, or it's junk. Another way to say junk is excess. And the truth is that... There are very few things that we truly need, the essentials, right? We all need clothes and food and shelter and you know, a bed. And, and, but most of the things we own fit in those last two categories. It's either non-essential, but it adds value. So I have a couch at home, right? Strictly speaking, I could live without that couch, but it adds value to my life. And because Ryan and I are the minimalists, we're not the deprivationists. I have a couch. The domain
1: was taken, that's why.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm glad I didn't convince you to do that one. Uh, Anyway, um, unfortunately, the problem is most of the things fit in that third category. Most of the things are junk, things that we pretend add value to our lives. Because here's the thing. We wouldn't hold on to something if we didn't assume it either added value to our lives now or was going to add value in some non-existent hypothetical future. So we cling to it, we hold on to it, just in case, right? The three most dangerous words in the English language. We hold on to all these things just in case. Mm -hmm. So those boxes move from house to house to house to house with you. I'll hold on to this just Just in in case. case, (laughs) And it's not a big deal if it was just one box, right? But it's not about the box. It's about the mentality that allows us to hold on to the things that are in that box. And quite often we move it from place to place to place to place until 30, 40 years from now it's moved all these times and you don't even remember what's in it. And you open it up and you're like, oh my God, it's a stale box of pasta. (laughs) You know, it's some thumbtacks. It's a broken waffle iron. We hold on to these things because, oh, maybe someday, well, yeah. Or maybe
1: today is the day to,
0: to start letting go.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, when I was talking in the beginning, I talked about the costs of our things. So, you know, the, I would consider if I was you, like, what are those things costing you? Because to get rid of them, just to get rid of them, mm. I mean, that's not going to do anything. Yeah, I mean, if, if anything, it'll, it'll maybe help you feel a little bit lighter because the clutter's not there but really understanding like, what are you going to gain if you get rid of those boxes. Like, that's, that's the leverage that you need. Um, and You don't have to answer that, but yeah, consider like, what is it actually costing you and what are you going to gain if you get rid of those. Let's talk about your digital consumerism. So,
0: a few things that have helped me out a lot. Now, first off, I'll tell everyone in here I don't think that digital clutter is as big of a problem as physical clutter, right? I've never thrown my back out by having too many photos in my camera roll, Uh, but it does become a problem if it weighs on your mind. And so I have a few triggers set up sort of before and after the photos is a big one for me as well. I used to just like, anytime I'd want to take a picture of something, I'd take a picture, oh, that wasn't right. right. I'd take 10 more pictures, right? Now all of a sudden in your camera roll, you got 30 of essentially the same damn picture. 29 of them you'll never use. One of them you may use, even though probably not, because no one posts photos on Instagram anymore. It's all dance videos.
1: Are you making fun of my dance videos?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and so here's what I, I learned. I have a friend who's a photographer who, who shoots with film, and he said it makes, him be, it makes him really deliberate with each photo he takes because he can't take 30 photos of the same thing. And so he's deliberate. He takes a photo, and that's it. And so I thought, huh, I guess I could do that with my iPhone, too, right? And so now, like we're in Seattle, if I want to take a photo of the Space Needle, which I would never do because you could Google Space Needle. um, (laughs) But if I did want to take a photo, I would take one. And if my thumb ends up in it, then so be it. That's just part of the whole process. So that's the first thing. That's avoiding the clutter before you get it on your phone. But then, of course, there are times where I still want to go through and do a little bit of digital decluttering, and so I have a trigger for that. For me, it's every time I get on a plane. So I was on a plane here today from Los Angeles, so I just go to my camera roll anytime I get on a plane. Now, if you're not on a plane that often, what, what do you do regularly? Maybe it's public transit, or maybe it's you know, every Sunday before you go to this event, you know, whatever it might be, there's a time where you sit down and it's just, if you do it regularly, the first time you do it, it's a nightmare. But after that, you do it regularly, and it's, oh, five, ten minutes. I go through and delete any of these extra things. I don't want taking up space in my phone. And so if you have a trigger like that, every time you sit down on a plane or a bus or whatever, now all of a sudden, your camera roll, you don't mind going back to it whenever. In fact, you enjoy going back to it because there's no more excess digital clutter. Yeah, excellent.
6: Thank you so
7: much.
0: Thank you. And can I
7: just um, take a moment? I want to apologize to my fiance, Ryan. He's just sat back there. I've been going through a tough time recently. I've just finished my PhD, which is excellent. But now I'm in my job hunting phase. So I don't have an income. And that obviously is going to be stressful. And I've been thinking, I don't have an income. I don't have an income. But my fiance has kept saying to me, Louise, you don't have debt. And you do have savings. You can afford to live your life as you have been for the next however many months until we get a job, this is fine. And I just, you know, I just, thinking, I don't have an income, I don't have an income. So I just want to say I'm really sorry to him that I didn't believe him when he said I was like in the top 10% of the population. So when this Ryan says it, I believe it. <laughs> but when he was saying it, I didn't believe it. <laughs> so I just want to say sorry, I believe you now.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, Thank, Thank you. <laughs> Howdy. Hey
8: guys, how's it going?
0: Outstanding. What's your name?
8: Uh, My name is John. Hey, John. Um, John. What's on your mind? Yeah, when I was walking in here, uh, some guy was like, Hey, are the minimalist comedians? And I was like, Yes. And then I kept walking. So (laughs) I I didn't know what else to say. Um, Perfect. It's hard to explain. Um, (laughs) But I just wanted to ask, I I was hoping I could ask two questions. Sure. Um, So, first thing, I recently got married uh, this last year. Congrats, Uh, man. It's been real good. Me and my wife have watched. Both minimalist documentaries. I listen to the audio book as I'm decluttering. Awesome. Um, but then I'm trying to declutter with my wife. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we go one by one item over time. It's been happening the last two weeks now. Oh. Uh, and she goes, I think I'll use that someday. Oh. Or I'll use this someday. Mm. And I go, I, I guess. And then I just put it underneath the sink and I close it. Oh. And so I'm wondering, what do you do about that when it's just... This whole kind of, I guess I'll use this one day. I guess I'll use that one day. Yeah.
1: John, first off, what an awesome husband, man. Like, (laughs) to support her like that (laughs) and, like, not try and talk her out of her stuff like that. It's it's interesting because what we want to do is we want to just, like, well, first off, it's a lot easier to throw away other people's stuff. So, you know, we just want to, (laughs) like, get rid of other people's stuff. I remember when I went out, when my grandma had to sell her house, I was helping her go through all her stuff. And we had to do the same exact thing. And what I did with her is I helped her uh, come up with a few boundaries. So like I would ask her questions like, oh, have you used this in the last year? Well, no, are you gonna use it in the next year? Uh, I don't know, maybe. And I'm like, oh, okay, well just keep that in mind. And when you come across it next year, <laughs> you can remember this conversation. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's really where, uh, where maybe, cause your wife is asking for help. That's what's really awesome is like, it, this isn't you just trying to like, put a magic spell on her to get rid of her stuff. Like she's, and if we had a magic spell, we wouldn't share it anyway. <laughs> but no, um, you know, with any relationship, what do we want out of any relationship? We want to be loved, we want to be supported, we want to be understood. And you're doing all those things for your wife. So you're doing exactly what you should be doing. If you're looking to go a little bit further, yeah, like maybe have her help, uh, help her come up with some boundaries that will help her make these, you know, more reasonable or appropriate decisions for for her life. Can I read something to you? Absolutely.
8: I would love that.
1: <laughs> Dear Santa Claus, <laughs> I've got the answer, Ryan. It's
0: right here on page 250. You can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. <laughs> If I could travel back in time and give one piece of advice to my young self, I would hand him a sheet of paper with that sentence written on it. We understand the indispensable role of other human beings when we are children. Our mothers feed us, our fathers care for us, our siblings teach us, our friends interact with us, our families love us. But with each year that passes, new desires and pursuits build barricades between us and the people in our lives. Let's face it, we started social distancing way before the pandemic. By puberty, we begin to covet cars and clothes and contraband, inching us away from our companions and relatives. In our 20s, we enlist in careers that create yet more distance, working hard to avoid the hard work of living well. As we grow older, We accumulate accoutrements and artifacts, isolating ourselves with more square footage. We fill our homes with stuff, but we feel empty amid the clutter. We fill the self-constructed holes in our Swiss cheese hearts. We lust for exciting new relationships that may not share our values, surrounding ourselves with people who bring bring out the worst in us. Before we know it, we're all grown up, but we haven't matured much. Puzzled, we look around by age 30 or 40 or 50 or older and wonder why we've encircled ourselves with possessions and people that pontilate our vacuous lives. If we want to escape this quagmire, we must honestly assess the relationships we've established. And I think there's a there's a thing here, John, that you're at, I'm so grateful you're asking this question because here's what happens, the stuff, yeah, the physical stuff, but then the other stuff too, the obligations, the careers, the busyness, all the stuff I just read about there, get in the way of the people who are closest to us. And so I understand why you want to get rid of some of these things in your home. You don't want to forsake the person you're living with, right? And you don't want to be forsaken either. Love is a weird thing. I don't think most of us understand what love is. I love my wife, but I love burritos. (laughs) The hell does that mean? Well, one just means I really like, ah, oh, I like burritos, right? But when I say I love my wife, quite often we put conditions around that love. If you do this, 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 and this, and this, in this order, this sequence, by this time, God would sure love that. And by extension, I would love you. But to love someone is to see them for who they are without trying to change them. That doesn't mean you don't want the best for them. You do. Right? But to want to change someone is, in a weird way, to unlove them. But that puts you in quite the predicament because now you're in a home and you're like, hey, we want to share this life with you. But it seems to me that maybe some of these things are actually getting in the way of us sharing that life together. What kind of things are getting in the way. Like literally, let's talk about specifically the stuff.
8: Oh man, that's a lot. Um,
0: <laughs> Give me a few.
8: I mean, I, the example would be like clothes, right? I, uh, I've been following you guys for a while, so when I, when I, got, when I watched you, I just kind of threw everything in the plastic bag and I was like, it's out of here. Yeah. Um, and so like, I use like a third of the closet and she uses mm. one closet, a dresser, and another you know, thing. Um,
0: she then, uses more than a third of the closet.
8: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I would just say, just random, like, I don't know, cooking things. Just like things that we haven't used for, like, you know, e- even some of it when we were unpacking it recently was still, like, wrapped in the plastic that was kept. Um, and, it, and it said expired, and I got sad. Um, and so there's just a few things here and there that I go, well, you know, I love you, so we'll just keep it in the storage and kind of put it there.
0: Let, Let me explain why we hold on to things like that. It's because we don't feel compelled enough to let go yet, right? Or we feel compelled to hold on. We don't actually see the cost. When Ryan was giving that talk earlier, he talked about all these additional costs outside of the price tag. Although sometimes the price tag, we even get wrapped up in that. You have the, that really nice juicer that costs $250, right? But, yeah, you maybe could resell it for 60 bucks, maybe, right? So it's not actually worth the $250 bucks you, you paid for it. It's worth whatever someone's willing to give you for it. But it's also costing you in all of these other ways. But it may not be costing her in those same ways. It may not be leading to the same anxiety, stress, discontent, whatever. It's never about any one particular item, though, right? Because if it was just one thing, you'd be like, yeah, keep that, right? It's this pattern of things that may be getting in the way. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, it's not up to you to jump up and say, hey, we need to get rid of this stuff, and you clearly realize that. It's up to you to show her the benefits. For me, simplifying started with that one question, how might your life be better with less? And the reason that's the first step in simplifying is it's different for her than it is for you. For some people, it's about reclaiming, well, some space in their closet, right? For other people, it's about reclaiming their finances. For other people, it's spending more time with their family. For other people, it's oh, yeah, you know, I've always wanted to be a writer, I just haven't had the time because I'm so busy doing all these other things. And so if she understands the benefits of simplifying for her, then you won't need to convince her at all because she'll feel compelled to let go because now that stuff is finally identified as excess instead of something that might add value
1: someday. Thanks for your question, John. Yeah,
8: thanks. Thank you, guys. I, I had a second question, but it's okay.
1: Oh, yeah, oh, you had a second one. That's right. Oh, you got a second question? Yeah, yeah. All right, um, go for it, John.
8: Okay. I, I don't mean to take too much time, but I wanted to ask um, with getting married and everything, I'm in a job in ministry and it's fun and everything. I substitute teach, it's a lot of fun. But there's part of me that just, I know you guys don't, uh, I've listened to you guys talk about goals before and writing down all these goals and not having any goals and all the goals. And for me, I personally write down all the things I want to do and then I get scattered in trying to do everything all at once to the point where you're exhausted. And I guess how do you simplify that when you have so many things that you want to do?
0: I mean, I'm not telling you not to have goals. I don't have any. But um, I've let go of the goals. And, And the reason that I don't have any goals is because they drove me nuts. And they stressed me out. They made me miserable, right? In fact, most of the time, the things that we think we need to do quite often get us out of that place of peace or tranquility or equanimity. And... Okay, if you want a lot of chaos in your life, one way to get that is through a whole bunch of unnecessary goals. But if you have goals that serve you, that enhance your quality of life, then that's wonderful. But I think, unfortunately, we're in a culture right now that is very obsessed with getting things done. GTD was the acronym like uh, a dozen years ago or so. And we're very productivity focused. We're very focused on being busy, but we're not busy being focused. Ooh, you could tweet that podcast, Sean. (laughs) Um, But I've got to step back and ask myself, are these actually serving me? And I realized for me that I know it sounds crazy to you that you know, oh, this guy doesn't have any goals. I mean, it's not a semantics game if you want to be like, well, didn't you have a goal to step on the stage tonight? Okay, sure. But, but I don't have any sort of metric-based grandiose, here's where I'm going to be a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. I'd rather set those aside and just be instead of constantly obsessed with doing. Because that doing all the time is what stresses me out.
1: Oh, man. Well, I just want to tell you, these boulders that you've picked up and you're carrying, I mean, you can set them down as easily as you pick them up. I mean, certainly there are times... I remember when I was becoming uh, debt-free. Like, I had a goal of becoming debt-free. So, I mean, sometimes they can be useful. Um, But that is only when you want to use the goals as if they are being useful. It sounds like they are a burden to you. I would challenge you honestly, drop all of them but one. Just start with one of them. Because if you've got like, oh, I want to play guitar and I want to go traveling and I want to run a marathon, and I, I mean, of course that's going to be overwhelming. You know, cut them all up, put them in a hat, and right before you pick one out, you're probably going to have one come to mind and be like, oh, I hope it's this one. And that's probably the one you should start with. <laughs> Thank Thank you, guys. Nice job. Ryan, what time is it? Oh, you know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round where we answer your text messages. But since you're here in line, we'll answer your comments in person. But if you do want to text us, you can text a question or comment to 937-202-4654.
0: Now, during the lightning round, I'm sure y'all know, we try to do our best to answer questions with a short shareable, less than 140 character response, and because I don't have a ton of time, I'll, we'll try to get through as many of these as we can. Howdy, what's your name?
9: Oh, hi. Hi. <laughs> um, hi. my name is Megan, I come down from Bellingham. Hey, Megan. Um, oh, thank you. Thanks for coming I've down. i talked to you guys on text before and I just wanted to say I appreciate you guys coming down and really bummed that we couldn't come in 2020. Um, We had originally planned to come down, so. Um, My husband is pretty much a minimalist since before we knew about you guys. He would, when we met, he would work for six months and then quit for three months and live on his savings for a long time. And he would do that just over and over again. And I thought that was super cool. And he doesn't have a lot of stuff. And I am the complete opposite, or I, I was, Um, Both of us grew up in poverty. We are both still in poverty, and we just have drastically different ways of dealing with that poverty. Um, For me, it's more of a hoarder's mindset. I I keep everything that I get for free because maybe my kids will need it, or uh, maybe I will need it. And I have been watching you guys for so long since um, my daughter turned two, or it was a long time ago, and at her birthday party, um, I had gone into debt to get her all these presents because I was, I was just so excited that we could afford it um, this year. And as she was opening those presents, um, she wanted to play with them and there were more presents to open. And so she couldn't play with them. She had to keep opening presents. And that was kind of just my wake up call to be like, something's not right here. And so we saw your uh, documentaries and we read your books and we got rid of so many things um, and we've done this multiple times, the, the game that you have, the um, 30 days game, we've gotten rid of so many things. And that's really helped a lot, we fixed our finances, and then I will find myself continually going back to the hoarder's mindset. And my poor husband is dealing with this because he's always been a minimalist at heart, um, watching the house empty and then fill up, and then empty and fill up. And I don't really know how to break the cycle, and so I was just hoping you guys might have some insight on how to deal with that, especially because I have two kids and being broke all the time, like the younger kids going to go into the older kids' clothes. And, how old are the kids? Um, seven and two. Seven and two? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Megan, thanks for your question. Um, yeah, there's a difference between being broke and, and being in poverty. And when I hear you describe your husband, I don't hear poverty at all. I hear an abundance mindset with not a whole lot of money. And I can tell you I went through something really similar. Ryan and I, we grew up really poor, and we were also in poverty because the poverty side of things, it was it's a mindset. Now, we unfortunately carried that mindset into our corporate days. We made good money, but we were broke. In fact, we were more broke because we had this poverty mindset of I need to get more, I need to accumulate, I never have enough. Even when I was making $200,000 a year in Dayton, Ohio, I had six figures worth of debt. So I didn't have any money. In fact, when I left the corporate world, I took a 90% pay cut. I made $23,000 that first year. But it was the first time in my life, really. I was going to say in my adult life, it was the first time in in my life where, yeah, I didn't have barely any money, but I was no longer in poverty because I had enough. And this is what you're talking about right now. The, The breaking the cycle isn't about something you have to do. It's about understanding what is enough for you and your family.
9: And I keep feeling like I get to that point. And we live very happily with, you know, hardly any things in our house. The the kids are not being chaotic, and they're not destroying the house every day. But then it just kind of slowly creeps back in. And then starts all over again.
0: It, It creeps back in because you understand what enough is intellectually, but you need to feel it emotionally. You have to know what is enough in your heart. The way that we get to enough In our society is we try to get more, 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 more. But it never gets us there. We find enough through subtraction. Now, yes, subtraction of stuff. But that's just the the material possessions are a physical manifestation of whatever's going on inside you. So if you have a lot of mental clutter, emotional clutter, spiritual clutter, internal clutter, career clutter, relationship clutter, whatever kind of clutter it is in here. Yeah, it shows up outside. And by dealing with that external stuff, if we just do the external, that's the first step, but it allows us the space to look inside and really figure out what is enough. Because, Megan, you are complete in an empty room. And so the things in your life can only enhance or augment, but you don't need them to be complete. Thank
1: you.
9: Thanks,
1: man. I I got a, I do have a pithy answer for her. Um, minimalism is a journey, not a destination. And it ebbs and it flows. And it's okay that things creep back in. You're 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 still a minimalist, we'll still give you the certificate. <laughs> but just just know, like you're on you're on a journey and it's it's okay that you're on the journey. Hi. My What's your name?
10: My name's Joy. I'm 24, so I'm, I'm still new to all this. Um, hey, Joy. Hey. Yeah, I used to work at the mall. That was, like, one of my first jobs when I was 18. And I found myself spending about two-thirds of my income, because <laughs> I had a really cheap apartment, on all the stores in the mall. And I would get... Yeah. Like I'd see sales, and I'd get really excited, and it was all about the deals and saying. What about, kind of stuff? Oh my gosh, all the stuff. Um, anything like that was geek-related. Any merchandise that was a part of my passion, because then people would compliment on the shirt that was related to like Doctor Who or oh. Disney or whatever it was. And I, I had to reflect back because I was really broke and I didn't have money for like basic necessities. And I realized that. It wasn't about the stuff, really. It was about the connection I made at the mall with the customers and with the employees that worked all the different businesses. Mm. So what really was going on was I was so isolated that what I was looking for wasn't the stuff, it was the connection. Mm. Um, I left that job. (laughs) I don't work in sales. I've become a mental health professional and I, I love my job as a counselor. But I now work with uh, very low income families in the nonprofit sector. And I work in hoarder homes about 20% of my job. And it's been a great resource to meet you guys and also to start the minimalist journey. Uh, Back three years ago when I started in mental health, I uh, was doing research because I didn't really understand what being a hoarder would look like. And I found minimalism. And I started to kind of obsess about minimalism because I would go into these homes, I'd get really overwhelmed, mm. overstimulated, and then I'd go home and start cleaning and start purging in my own life. Mm. Mm. And um, one of the things that I've like done is I've stopped going to the mall and I've stopped making all these unnecessary purchases and I'm now financially stable and I'm not low income anymore. And it's been huge because I'm, I'm 24 and we're going to start the house buying process in three months. And uh, a big part of like this journey has been listening to these podcasts when I'm trying to go places. Uh, Cause I'm community based. I drive about three hours a day. and I'm able to listen to your podcasts in between. So it's been really helpful. And my question for you guys is when you're uh, like talking About minimalism, I work with very low income, impoverished families and some people really struggle with um, giving things away when they realize there's a money value attached to it and it's I can resell this or I can gift it to someone else and I'll make them feel better. But the problem is there's so much of it you can't keep track. So what's some advice that you would have for like the families that I work with?
0: You know, it's, uh, it's funny you said about 20% of the houses that you go to, Joy, are, are hoarder's homes. But the is probably far greater than that. Um, just if you look at, at the statistics, that most of the people in this room are at least stage one hoarders. And that isn't, that's not a judgment, right? Um, it's just that we live in a society that has not just made it okay to hoard, but encourages it, you know you talked about working at the mall it 's essentially the yeah. you know, low grade hoarding there, right? We see these people on the TV with their their stage five hoarders, and so there's you know a, a mental illness component to that as well stage three, stage four, stage five hoarding, and so you know sometimes it requires some professional help in situations like that, but if you if you're talking about letting go of excess stuff the reasons that we don't is because well well it's always because of the story that we tell ourselves right and so yes maybe i could get some money for selling this Okay, great. In fact, that's the first thing I recommend is selling it, right? How do you let go of something? Well, you try to sell it. If it doesn't sell in seven days, you lower the price. If it doesn't sell in 30 days, you donate it. If you can't donate it, you recycle it. If you can't recycle it, ultimately, it's going to make its way to a landfill. But if you go through that process, you waste very little. You actually make a good chunk of money in the process. I mean, Craigslist and eBay became my best friends when I was trying to get out of debt. I was selling everything that wasn't bolted down. And the reason I did that is because I realized that if it wasn't serving me, and I was just sort of selfishly clinging to it, I could let go. Someone else could get value from it. And even if I got no money from it, at least
1: it's no longer weighing me down. Oh, man, I I don't want to undermine the struggle that the people you're talking about that they're, they're going through. Um, and I get it when I think about minimalism, I guess my pithy answer would be this minimalism is an answer for chaos. And it sounds like they're in in a very chaotic spot. Minimalism isn't just about, you know, give them our book, give them our book, here, read this book and then throw all your stuff away. Right? Like I talked about that earlier. Like we, not just expect to throw our stuff away and experience immediate bliss. But what we can do is do things with intention. And Josh talked about all those resources that we have earlier, and that's what minimalism is about. It's about helping one be intentional with their resources. And when we are intentional with our resources, we tend to have less chaotic lives. It's easy to, to say yes to everything. Um, The hard part is saying no, but I think that's what minimalism helps people do, is it can help them say no when appropriate. You know, Ryan,
0: the the resources thing is a really great point, because when you and I were growing up really poor, we had very few resources. And I often hear people say, well, yeah, but minimalism, that must just be for well-off people, right? And, okay, yeah, I think it would help some well-off people, for sure. We've met quite a few well-off people who have benefited from minimalism, and that's great but who wouldn't benefit from an intentional use of whatever resources you have? Earlier we talked about those five resources, right? The skills, the time, energy, attention, money. Those are our five most precious resources. Who wouldn't benefit? Is there anyone in this room who wouldn't benefit by being more intentional with those five resources, being more intentional with your time, more intentional with your skills, with your energy, with your attention. And of course, yeah, with your money. If you have a limited amount of money, then you benefit even more by being intentional with those resources. So minimalism might be a bit too austere, and so you can steer away from that and just call it intentionalism. Being intentional with those resources will help anyone thrive. Thanks for your question, Joy. Thank you. Now, Ryan, I see we're we're running out of time. I can't see how many, people, how many people are in line right now. Ooh, one million. Oh, there's no way we're getting to seven. We might <laughs> get to two. I apologize. We'll, we'll def- okay. We have time for one, but we'll get to two. You know, if if uh, we're well, we might do three.
1: Yeah, it depends how how they kick us are. out.
0: <laughs> Howdy, what's your name?
11: Howdy. My name is Shelley. Hey,
0: Hello. Shelley! Welcome.
11: Thank you. I'm here with my best friend. Um, I am a child of two immigrants. Um, my parents survived the Cambodian genocide back in the 70s, um, and they immigrated here in the 80s. Um, so, growing up, I, my family, and I, you know, went through poverty. I remember having like five saltine crackers in a day, and thought like, Oh, wow, this is normal. Like, I'm being fed today. Um I mean over time i uh, we got my family and I got out of poverty. Um, and I can't say this for all of you know the immigrant families, but at least for my family and my community, there's this value to you know get out the, the survival instinct to get out of poverty, um, this value to uh, do well in your education, you know do like have a big house, have you know, designer, clothing, like just show that you, like the materialistic things that you have shows that you're successful. And that, you know, you're obviously not in poverty. Um, So my question to you, to you both is, what advice or what tips would you give to, you know, families like mine and to like me, like a child of an immigrant who struggled through poverty and struggles through like, you know, the the immigrant family, immigrant Asian family, like values of like, you know, success.
0: Yeah, I think we all value success in, in this country, right? It's the, one of the things that we value. Now, I think we have a misguided picture. If I, if I were to show you a picture of someone who is successful, what do you see in that picture? Someone yell something out. What? A suit, a suit? Rolls, Royce. A Rolls, Rolls Royce. Royce. Okay, so you have a guy wearing a suit. He's driving a Rolls Royce. What else is going on? A ro- he has a Rolex on. Uh, I heard something about an apartment, a really nice home, right?
1: Like a penthouse, yeah. It
0: has a dog. Yeah, an expensive dog. Okay. So, he has a suit, the Rolls Royce, the apartment, there's probably a boat somewhere docked nearby, especially if you're in Seattle, right? And so, um, this is the picture of success that we all see. It's almost like universal. I've done this at other events, the same things always come up, right? And there's always like one cute person who's like, oh, they're happy. No, 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 they're not happy. They're stressed out, they're in debt, they're working 80 hours a week, they're living the American nightmare because here's the thing about success, do those things make you successful? Hell yeah, they do, but so what if they don't make you experience joy, they don't give you peace. So what, you're successful. I used to be successful. It sucked. (laughs) Tweet that podcast, Sean. (laughs) Here's the thing about success. There are a lot of things we think we want. They're called mimetic beliefs. But all that really means is a fancy word to say, those are things that other people want. And if you want it, ask yourself why you want it. Generally, it's because someone else told you you're supposed to have it. An advertiser, a marketer, a demographer, a statistician, the algorithm told you that you really want this sweater. And if you wore it, you'd be successful, you'd be this type of person. Well, why do we want to be successful? So we can get validation from other people. Well. Even if people do validate you for the car you drive or the job you have, that doesn't mean they're validating you, they're just validating these signifiers that our culture has accepted as sort of trophies of success. But these trappings of success are um, these are quite often the things that make us miserable. And so, there's something pithy there about, you know, you can be successful or you, could, you can be successful or you can be happy,
1: choose one. Mm. <laughs> uh, my, my pithy answer would be um, to love and to be loved is to be successful. <laughs>
0: I mean, ultimately, what you're talking about here, Ryan, is redefining what success is. Right now, it's really hard to sell someone love. I mean, we try through diamond commercials and all this other stuff. In fact, happiness is kind of—it's this weird thing. Yeah, you know, we happiness doesn't exist. It's a concept, right? And and so, um, different people mean different things when they talk about happiness. And I think that's quite often what we're trying to do when we're trying to be successful. We're trying to be happy. We're pursuing happiness. But happiness is never out there. It can't be acquired. It can't be attained. It can't be consumed. It can only be uncovered because it's right here. Thanks for your question. Thank you. Howdy. Howdy. What's your name?
3: My name is Lauren.
0: Hey, welcome.
3: Thank you. Um,
5: my question's pretty short. Uh, I just uh, was kind of inspired by the dumpster fire story um, in that a lot of people, this process creates a lot of waste. And I was wondering what your guys' take is on the amount of waste that this process would often create for some
1: people. Yeah, Yeah,
0: yeah well, I think it's an important question because Here's the problem, is decluttering doesn't create any waste at all. Letting go doesn't create any waste. It's only the consumption that creates the waste. And so the beautiful thing about minimalism is the fewer things we consume, the less waste we produce. And how beautiful is that? A moment ago, I went through sort of the process I go through. We definitely don't recommend renting a dumpster and throwing all your <laughs> stuff in it. Um, It's simply selling the thing so other people can get value from it, right? Or if you can't sell it, donate it. If you can't donate it, recycle it. And so that ensures that we produce far less waste. But of course, there will still be some things that, unfortunately, we've consumed that are, well, they're junk. We decided to bring home some junk. We decided to do that damage to the environment, to our lives, to our community, whatever you want to call it. But I have to let go of that regret too if I if I want to be able
1: to move forward. Mm. Yeah. No, I would love that answer of yeah, the less we consume, the less waste we produce. Um, a pithy answer, because I, I you know I we get this question a lot about, well, you know, I hold on to things because you know, I don't want to put it in the landfill and I don't, want it, I don't want to do the damage. But my pithy answer is as soon as you take that item off the shelf, the damage has been done. Whether you hold on to it or whether you recycle it or give it away, I mean, the damage has already been done as soon as you take it off the shelf. So that's why it's so important to understand the less we consume, the less waste is produced.
5: All right. Thank you, guys.
1: Thank you. <laughs>
12: Do you guys have time for one more? Yes. What's your name, bro? um, I'm Andrew. I'm a fellow impoverished Midwestern kid. I'm from Chicago. All right. Welcome. uh, (laughs) Thanks. I'm here with my wife of 10 years, uh, and she is like a veteran minimalist. Mm. Um, I, on the other hand, am probably the worst minimalist in this room. (laughs) Uh, And so she is very organized. She's calm. She's collected. Everything she does has a reason. Um, I'm more like a wild animal with rabies. Um, I would define myself as a uh, collector of hobbies and all of the associated gear that goes with those hobbies. Um, and so I would love to support my wife and to jump aboard and help her on her minimalism journey uh, instead of just letting her do it by herself and sitting on the sidelines. Um, I'm sure you've answered similar questions like this and I'm curious out of your experience and doing these things for as long as you have, if you have just like a piece of advice for me to get started and to join my wife on this journey that what, she's doing. What hobbies? Oh, all kinds of stuff, man. Hunting, fishing, shooting, things for my job, all kinds of stuff. It's just, it's
0: endless. And and, and and do you actually participate in all of these things yeah. that you own equipment for? Yeah,
12: for uh, about 20 minutes. And then, uh, you know, I...
1: 20-minute uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, hobbies. I love what happens
12: is um, I make a lot of purchases. I, uh, I buy things. Um, the things are, I'm like, I open the box and I'm like, man, this is radical. And then I toss it aside and um, most things I don't use. There are some hobbies I have that I'm much more interested in than others. Um, and some of them just uh, fall by the wayside and end up in the garage like you guys were talking about earlier. So um, if you have any advice for me to maybe get started, I know it's a broad question.
1: I mean, my my pithy answer would be to have boundaries is to have peace. And that's what it sounds like you're struggling with, is like coming up with these clear, defined boundaries. Uh, In our book, we we have uh, a bunch of rules. I mean, when I say rules, it's it's just things that work for Josh and I, and they're totally malleable. You can make up your own rules. But there's something like the, um, the seasonality rule where you can look at something and say, hey, have I used this in the last 90 days? Am I going to use this in the next 90 days? Now, maybe for you, it's 12 months. You know, Maybe you look at something and you're like, have I used that in the last year? Am I going to use, use it within the next year? And let's say you think that you are. Great, hold on to it. But then reevaluate that a year from then. Right. That's, that is what um, has helped me because I'm the same way. I mean, especially, like, living in Montana, there's just a million outdoors activities to do. Fly fishing is, like, one of those things that I've really had to talk myself out of a lot.
12: Yeah, it's an there's expensive just, hobby. <laughs> it is, and
1: there's so much stuff that comes with it. And, but it's because of those boundaries that I've set up um, that I've, I've been able to kind of keep all that all stuff out that comes with the hobbies. You know, those boundaries,
0: you know, another way to think about that is a limitation, right? You're setting up some sort of limitation. Those limitations often breed creativity, right? And I find when I talk to people about this, it's not about all or nothing. You know, I know some guitar collectors who own, you know, 30 guitars, but they play two of them. Right. And actually, I talked to a guy um, on a previous tour where he had gotten rid of the majority of his musical instruments. And as a consequence, he was playing music a whole lot more frequently because he sort of got some of these things out of the way. They almost become idols in a way. We're worshiping these things we never used. We, We hope to use them. We wish to use them. We think the ideal version of me will get value out of this okay, fine, but am I actually getting value from it? And so, yeah, Ryan mentioned the 90-90 rule or the seasonality rule, which I think is, is a great place to start. Earlier, you also, you brought up so, something about uh, the spontaneous combustion rule. That's one of the rules that we have. So looking at any of these, ho- the, the, the objects that you have for your hobbies, are, they, are there any of them where you can hold it up and you're like, man, if this spontaneously combusted, would I feel like I need to replace it immediately? Or would I feel a, a slight sense of relief? Or would I just feel ambivalent? If I feel, would feel ambivalent or I would feel relief, well, then that's definitely a, a sign to let go. And so I look at any of these boundaries as they actually create more freedom for me. They're not constricting in a way that cuts off my freedom. It gives me more freedom to do the things that I want to do. Because you're up here asking this question, not just for you, but it sounds like it's mo- you're mostly asking it for your wife because you want to make sure that relationship is thriving. Definitely. I applaud you for that because that's beautiful. All What you're really saying here is, hey, there might be a few things that are getting in the way of our relationship. If you can identify those things, let go of those, not only will you get more value from the other things, but you'll get and give more value to the relationship you're in. Thanks for your question, brother. Thank you guys so much. Ryan, they let us do this. Mm. I can't believe it.
1: How lucky are we?
0: Amen. Mm. I really wish we could stick around and give hugs to everyone, but um, we'll do that next time. Um, I want to thank a few folks before we, before we wrap up here tonight. First off, let's thank Neptune for having us here tonight.
1: Yeah. Woo.
0: We have our lovely team here tonight. Uh, Jordan No More, Podcast Sean. Oh, we even have other Sean here in the building somewhere. Let's give them a round of applause.
1: Yeah, we love you guys.
0: Let's thank uh, third place books for uh, selling some autographed copies of Woo! Love. People use things. <laughs> and most important, God, we want to thank you for being here tonight. I know uh, it's a lot of uncertainty right now, right? And even coming out to something like this is like, eh, should I? What's going on? And Ryan and I are just so grateful you decided to spend an evening with us and. I don't know where you've been before this. I don't know where you are in your life right now. I don't know where you're going from here tonight. But if you leave here tonight with just one message, let it be this. Love people and use things. Because the opposite never works.
1: Thanks for being here, y'all. Thank you, Seattle. Thank you. Thank you.